right. Good morning, everyone. Doing well? How many of you hit up Cap and Crunch on the way in here? Anybody? You see the cereal bar out there? If you didn't see it, hit it up on the way out. We got Captain Crunch. Not Captain. Cap'n. Ain't no tea in there. All right. Cap'n Crunch. I think we got the cheap generic brand, but anyways, that's... that's uh, we, uh, we also have, I think, Frosted Mini Wheats, which I like. I'll probably be hitting up some of those on the way out. Those are really good. Although, you know when you eat Frosted Mini Wheats? I didn't want to eat any on the way in here because those things get stuck in your throat for like two weeks. <laughs> I can imagine like you have this opportunity to go and speak in front of people, whatever, you know, like maybe go and address Congress and you've had Frosted Mini Wheats sometime in the last two years and it's in that moment that that one little fiber decides to dislodge and <clears throat> get stuck in your throat. That doesn't have anything to do with today. I'm just getting ready. Just setting it up. Well, I'm so excited to continue and actually conclude our series, Goodbye, Hello. We're talking about saying goodbye to anxiety, saying goodbye to worry, saying goodbye to fear, and saying hello to the peace and the joy of God. Come on. How many of you believe, hey, I need more of that in my life, more joy, more peace, right? Less anxiety, less fear, less worry. And so today, I'm, I'm really excited because this is going to be the capstone where I give you the tools that you need to beat, really destroy and dominate and knock down and stamp out worry and fear and anxiety. How many of you want to do that? Not be a victim of those things, but be a victor over and above those things. Now, uh, before we get started, though, I want to just talk about tools a little bit. Those of you that know me know that I am actually the least handy person ever. So typically when I approach something to fix it, it gets worse. And not it gets worse before it gets better. It gets worse forever. And so I try to surround myself with people that are actually gifted in fixing things. How many of you men are like, Ugh, yeah, I like to fix stuff. Anybody in here? Come on. Yeah, be proud because that's good. Because people like me with no survival skills, seriously, if there's nuclear winter, I'm coming to Kelly King's house. I live with you now, Kelly. I, I don't have any weapons. I don't have any skills. I don't know how to start a fire. I can't hunt. I can't even catch mice that I'm trying to catch around my house. I, mean, I have no skills. In these areas, I can sing. That's not really something, you know what I mean? Who wants the guy that knows how to talk in the nuclear winter? Nobody. Get out of here. We don't need you anymore. (laughs) Basically, all I am on Sunday morning is a break from Netflix. I understand where my position, my place in life is. But in a survival situation, I'm really not equipped. But there's people in life that are really good with fixing things. Now, a couple months ago, I had a plumbing problem. And I, I spent about 14 hours on YouTube, which is where I go for answers, you know. Dear Google, please tell me what I need to do here. And I decided I'm going to take this on myself. And so I actually fixed our bathroom. Uh, yes, come on. I mean, just don't even hold back. I won't even hold you back. Uh, wait till the end of the story. But, you know, I fixed our bathroom bathtub faucets. I felt pretty good about that. And at the same time, fixed the shower faucet. And it was one of those mowing filter cartridges, had to go in there and, you know, do all this kind of stuff. I did destroy my thumb somehow, literally almost broke my thumb and had a huge blood blister. True story. Shouldn't have happened. I was trying to push it in the wrong way. Anyways, I needed somebody like Kelly King to help me or John White. One time, John was reminding me, uh, John White, about this. When we moved into a new house, I actually almost electrocuted myself because I plugged in a 220 dryer cord without it being attached to the dryer. And when the the little prongs touched each other, it arced and I nearly went to be with Jesus. So I called him, John, please come save me. So anyways, I'm not very handy, but I did fix the shower. I did fix the bathtub, but then our in-laws came 
And my father-in-law has actually uh, gone to be with Jesus since then, but um, his business was called Dave's Mr. Fix-It. And so if that tells you anything about the intimidation factor of marrying his daughter, um, he's like the most handy person ever. Well, they stayed at our house for a couple days because Bethany and I were out of town and they watched our kids. We got home and said, how did things go? They're like, great. The bathtub exploded. (laughs) Really? That's so strange. I wonder who the last person to work on that was. What a mystery. (laughs) So anyways, my father-in-law had to fix my fix, right? He had to fix what I had done to fix it. And luckily he was the most handy guy. But what I've found about people that are really good at fixing things is it appears like they always have the right tool for the job, right? Like I don't have any good tools. Most of my tools are from the Dollar Tree or Harbor Freight. You know, you hammer and the hammer bends back when you do it. It, Most of my tools, they actually sell at Toys R Us, right? I don't have any real tools because I would hurt things more if it had more power. My wife has a drill. Now, lest you think, what a wuss. You can think that, and you're probably right. But anyways, my father-in-law had to fix my fix. And what's funny about people that know how to fix stuff is you're like, hey, I have this problem. My door is like a jar or something's happening. They're like, yeah, no problem. I'll just bring the rotator over and the, the motivator and the, the regurgitator, and we're going to take care of that. We're going to shim that shimmy right up, shim it to shim sham. Great. When I... Contractors, hey, I have this issue. My house is broken, okay? Can you fix it? Sure. How much is it going to cost? A million dollars. That sounds fair. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, we got it. Your, your, your herd of me Gertimer is off in the rotator. I'm like, all right. I don't know. But it seems like people that know how to fix things always have the right tools, and they just always have them. And they pull them out of these nice tool chests, and they know exactly where they go. And what I think is that it's not really my ability to fix things. It's that's, that's really the problem. It's that I don't have the right tools. That's what it is, isn't it? How many of you agree with me? No. Okay. But one of the things that I do know about, one of the things that I do have the right tools, and I want to give them to you today, is the tools to beat anxiety and fear and worry. The tools that come out of God's word. The tools that actually help us to not be a victim of these things, external things that create anxiety and fear, but actually fight back and fix the problem and have it stay fixed where you don't have to fix the fix. Come on. How many of you want to know the tools that are necessary to beat and to fix depression and discouragement and worry? I want to give them to you today. And so I want to just encourage you, take notes or take pictures of the screen or whatever you need to do to keep these things close to yourself because I believe these are going to be weapons for you to use to fight against the battle of anxiety and fear. We all face this at some level. Now, I know some people or maybe at a little bit of a, of a harder fight or on a, on a particular level of the spectrum against some of these things that we're going to talk about, maybe than others. But nobody is immune to facing the pressures of worry and fear in the world, all right? And so we need to learn these things as followers of Christ. We're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says this, Do not be anxious about anything. That's a bold proclamation. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, beyond what you can figure out, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak your word to us today with clarity. God, impact our hearts. Let there be transformation as we walk out of here today in Jesus' name. Amen. So to give you some context for Philippians chapter 4, 
This is actually the Apostle Paul writing this from prison. Now, this isn't three hots in a cot and ESPN on all the time. Not that prison is like a walk in the park today, but we're talking first century Roman Empire. You were not treated well. They didn't have Geneva conventions, right? There was a city called Geneva and the Romans conquered it and killed everybody. Like there's no such thing as like humane treatment of prisoners at this period in history. And so Paul, as he's writing these words, you have to see that these these words are very bright against the darkness of the backdrop that they come against because he's in prison. He has a lot to worry about. Paul was a guy that knew so much about fear and anxiety and worry because his life was full of moments that created these opportunities to be really upset, really worried. But within this passage, we actually have hidden in plain sight the tools Paul gives them to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to beat anxiety and to win uh, against worry. And so that's what we're going to go over today and look at these tools coming out of this passage. All right. Number one, the first tool that you need to win against worry, the first tool that you need to beat anxiety and depression and discouragement is this. You need to rule your thought life. Somebody say rule. rule. Rule your thought life. Now, there was a football game on on Friday between two teams that shall be remain nameless. And in said football game, of which we're totally unaware of the teams that played, one offensive line ruled the defensive line of the other team and rushed for 400 yards. Again, I don't know what teams it was, but anyways, when you take in sports, or in life, like wrestling, like Nacho Libre, Nacho! And there's a total domination. Not a lot of people like that movie, apparently. But anyways, there's something about ruling where there's a total victory and there's no chance for the enemy to get back up off the mat. Now, this is what we need to do with our thought life. What we think about, the mental patterns that we allow to rule, that we allow to rotate around in our heads, Now, I want to tell you the truth today and break down a myth that a lot of people believe. A lot of people believe that their life is what it is because of external factors to them and how they think. But the reality is actually inverse of that. The reality is different than that. The reality is that we create the reality around us by what happens in our thought life and in our inner life. All right? And so Paul here, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Jesus actually says pretty much the same thing in Matthew 6. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, how can these people say, don't do this thing, don't worry, if worry is something that just happens and you can't control it? Hey, Rodney and Marianne, I just saw you guys. (laughs) My friends are here. (laughs) Good to see you. (laughs) I was like, oh, look, a bird. (laughs) How can Jesus... How can Jesus tell us not to worry? How can Paul say, do not be anxious if it's impossible? Anybody? If it's impossible, if if you're completely a victim of what's going on in the world, if bad things are happening around you, you're going to think bad, you're going to feel bad, you're going to be anxious. If that's the case, then why does Jesus say, don't worry about anything? Why does Paul say, don't be anxious about anything? Because it's possible to dominate your thoughts. It's possible to rule in your thought life. Here's the truth. If you can rule your thoughts, you can control your emotions. Let me say that again. If you can rule your thoughts, you can control your emotions. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace. Say perfect peace. 
All who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Another translation says those whose thoughts are stayed on you. And what it's, what's being spoken here is that perfect peace is going to take place when you get your thoughts aligned onto God and you park your thoughts on him. In other words, you control the direction and the target of your thought life and you put it somewhere other than where it wants to go in anxiety and fear, so on and so forth. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Did you know that the thoughts of, of worry and fear and anxiety and depression, they want to get loose in your mind like a crazy rabid ferret? Why a ferret? I don't know. They're weird. No, they're not. They're cute. No, they're not. It's a rodent, isn't it? I don't know. No? Okay, thank you, literalists. Anyways, there are thoughts that want to get loose in your brain and wreak havoc in your life. And and you know what I'm talking about. It's when you lay your head on the pillow at night and all of a sudden all you can see is your bank statement and a lot of zeros and not behind the one, in front of the one. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Where's rent going to come from? Oh, no, no, no. Where's the grocery bill going to come from? It's when you can't stop thinking about the person that broke your heart. It's when you can't get that blanket, uh, that fog of discouragement and depression off of you. It's when a thought is loose in your brain like a bowl in a china closet, just wreaking havoc. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, these disobedient thoughts that you've got to catch it. You've got to grab it. You've got to arrest it. You've got to stop it and say, no, you're not going to run around crazy in my head. I'm going to rule my thought life. Now, I'm going to tell you how to do this today. I'm not just going to say do it and not give you the tools. I want to give you the tools. When a thought of anxiety or fear or depression or torment or whatever that thought is that comes to you, maybe it's not just one thought, but multiple thoughts, there are three things you need to do, and they all start with the the letter R, so it's easy. It's like Sesame Street. This message brought to you by the letter R and the number 42, the meaning of life. All right. Review it. Refuse it, replace it. Review it, refuse it, replace it. What does this mean? Review it means when the thought comes to you, and let's say it's an anxious thought. Oh, you're going to get cancer. You're going to have a problem. Oh, you're going to, your mom had this thing and you're going to have it. Or your, your dad left your mom, so now this is going to happen to you. Or your dad had, does that make sense? When that thought comes, you have to review it and say, is this from God? Is this my portion? Is this thought of anxiety helping me be more like Jesus and love people and make a difference in the world? Is this a thought about me being made on purpose and for a purpose, or is this thought coming from somewhere else? Because if it's not a God thought, if it's not a good thought, you don't have to take it. You don't have to own it. You don't have to let it run around like a rabid ferret in your brain. You review it. Now, if it's a God thought, then you let it stay, right? You say, hey, take up residence. When when you think about, man, God really loves me. God really likes me. God really wants me to be part of his family. That's a good thought. Let that one take a nap in your head. Come on, let it settle in. Hey, let me, let me clear a spot for you and make room for you in here. That's a good thought. But the thought of like, God could never forgive me. I'm too far away from him. It's out of alignment. It's not true. And when you review it, if it's not from God, you need to do number two, refuse it and say, sorry, no shoes, no shirt, no service. If this thought is not from God, if it's not from his word, if it's not from the heart of God for me, it's not mine. 
And it can't, you can't stay here. Come on, I refuse you. I'm not going to let you just run around in here. Now listen, this whole message is predicated on you deciding that you're not going to be a victim any longer. Because victims, they take pleasure in allowing thoughts to dominate. But champions who are sons and daughters of God that are connecting with their God-given destiny and connecting with their God-given identity say, I don't care how hard this fight is, I'm going to win, dang it. I'm going to win this battle, and so I'm going to refuse it. I want you to think about it. If somebody comes to your house, now, again, I said I don't have a lot of survival skills, but what I do have is an overweight body, whitey tidies, and a hammer. And I'm just going to tell you, if somebody breaks into my house and a pastor speaking in tongues is, is swinging a hammer at them, they're going to flee right now. Now, here's what's not going to happen. <laughs> You're welcome. So <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if somebody comes to invade my home and my family is there, I'm not going to be like, hey, stop. I refuse you entry. Flee. And they're like, well, we're going to still come in and kill you. Um, okay, come on in. We don't do that, right? When there's a battle, you fight until there's a victory or a loss. But a lot of people don't think this way when it comes to their thought life. Because what they do is they go, hey, I feel fear. I feel afraid. I feel anxious. That's not from God. I refuse you thought. Oh, it didn't go away in two point three seconds. And so now I'm going to lay down and let it victimize me. That's not how you fight this battle. Refusing entry to these thoughts that are not from Christ, taking every disobedient thought captive, taking it into captivity to the obedience of Christ, you're going to have to continue to refuse and fight, especially if you've let it nest in your head for a long time. Because this is how spiritual things work. There's always a spiritual war happening. And we always kind of think that means like mumbo jumbo. But actually what it means is that if you are afflicted with anxiety, anxiety wants to come and live inside of your head. And you've got to say, that's not from God. I refuse you entry every time it comes. Refuse it. Fight that battle. And then number three, you got to replace it. I think it was Thoreau that said nature abhors a vacuum. A lot of religions and a lot of worldviews, they want you to get to a place of emptiness, empty yourself, meditate, and just be in a place of emptiness. That's not a good place to be. If you have an empty stomach, you want to fill it with food. Can I get an amen? amen? If you have an empty brain, you need to fill it with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Some people are so open-minded, their brains have fallen out. <laughs> if you're the kind of person that's always looking to get empty, you're missing a big part of this, which is that you need to get filled with the word of God the purpose of God, the promises of God. Come on, the life of God rotating in your brain, the program that you've been running, that thought patterns that you've been running have given you the results you currently have. So even if you beat fear and anxiety and worry, it's not enough. You got to replace it with what God wants you to think and what God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. Come on, when I wake up in the morning, I don't go, well, I review those thoughts that are not from God. I replace them and now I'm empty. I have nothing to offer. No, no. I say, I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. God has put inside of me gifts and callings and I'm gonna go out into the world and kick the devil's butt all over this county. I'm gonna go out into the world and I'm gonna love people. Come on, I'm gonna go to Dutch Brothers and instead of being like, give me my coffee. <laughs> I'm gonna smile and be happy and say, God loves you. Come on, I'm gonna try to share the love of Jesus with people because I'm not empty. I've got God's word rotating in my brain. Come on, the thoughts that I'm thinking are about peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope, says the Lord. God has a plan for your life and he wants to fill your head so that that program runs and you go out and make a difference in the world. <laughs> Review it, refuse it, replace it. Come on, say, I'm gonna get strong in my head. I'm gonna get strong. Say it, I'm gonna get strong. 
God has so much more for us than to let that rabid ferret of worry and anxiety run around in our brain. And right now, for some of you, this is going to be a major breakthrough because you, you are being victimized by tormenting thoughts that do not belong in your head. And you're not weak and you're not silly or foolish. It's just sometimes you don't know how to fight the battle, but now you do. You review it, you refuse it, you replace it, get God's word inside of you. Some of you need to begin to hear God's word about your identity. Come on, you're not an accident. You're not time plus slime plus chance. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. God formed and fashioned you lovingly. You need to hear that God loves you. You need to know that in your knower, down deep. You gotta get it rooted in your head. You gotta get it filled in there so that that's the program that plays. Are you with me? Number two, the second tool in our toolkit to fight and to win against worry. Number two is to make prayer your first response, not your last resort. Make prayer your first response, not your last resort. I've been challenged lately in my time of prayer and I like to wake up every morning and I like to go to the same spot and I like to get into the word and then I like to pray. And I pray through the Lord's prayer almost every day. Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I pray through that. And the Lord's been challenging me in my time of prayer because he kind of, I felt in my spirit was like, you're praying weak prayers. You're praying unspecific, vague prayers. Jake, I want to give you the desires of your heart. What do you want? So much of prayer is believing there's a God who's there who's listening, who will respond, who wants to talk with us and wants to actually answer prayers. Come on. And I've been challenged to begin to say, God, this is what I want to see. God, I want to see this many people get saved. This morning I prayed that 10 people would give their life to Jesus. And you know what number I want to see on the paper? 10. Not four. 10 or more, right? I'm asking God, God, change people's hearts and minds today. I was praying for you guys today, praying that God would do, set you free not just in some general vague sense, but set you free from fear and worry and anxiety. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. Well, I went on Google and I looked it up and the rash is totally fine. I mean, I looked it up and it's, it seems, you know, just kidding. <laughs> that was a better joke than you gave me credit for right there. You know, I looked it up on Google and I talked to my friends and I went on Facebook and I posted and, and I did this and I, oh yeah, hey, could you pray for me? Or, oh yeah, I guess I should pray. Do you know that most people's problem isn't like they're overwhelmed with sin. It's that they are overwhelmed with unbelief. They don't really believe there's a God who hears and responds. And so they don't pray with any passion, with any seriousness, with any consistency. But you think about what prayer is. It's communication with God. And it's not, prayer is not just some sort of delusional response. Like I'm just mumbling in the mornings up to the sky, hoping there is a God. No, prayer is, is very, very rational if there is a God who is listening and who responds. You see, it comes down to, do you actually believe there's a God? And do you actually believe that the God who's revealed in the scripture is who he says he is? That he hears us, that he cares for us, that he's loving and he's just, and that he responds and moves in accordance with prayer. Do you believe that or not? If you believe that, if you accept this premise and this premise and this premise, then the conclusion that follows is that praying and sharing with God your requests and your trials and your tribulations and what you're walking through and asking God to help you is the most rational response. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, a lot of people think, well, prayer is just like a thing you throw in at the end. It's kind of like people when they make smoothies and they always add flaxseed. What the heck is the flaxseed there for? <laughs> to help you go to the bathroom? I don't, I mean, what's it there for? 
do you want something in your smoothie that tastes like dust? <laughs> no, I'm just going to put spinach and bananas and peanut butter in it. I mean, amen, praise the Lord. Like, I'm going to put fruit in it, but people treat prayer like flaxseed. Well, we throw it, we throw it in at the end because the recipe says so. No, like, do you understand? What's it there for? Why do you pray? I don't pray because I like to pray. I don't like to pray. I'd rather do other stuff like watch football and I don't know. That's about it, right? But <laughs> I pray because there's a God and he's listening and he's speaking and he answers prayer. We're pouring out our heart to God. And supplication is asking God for what you need. As Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. In everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer should not be an afterthought. It should be at the forefront. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. When we face a struggle, we don't talk to everybody that we know first and then pray. We say, God, I'm bringing this to you right now, this burden, because Lord, you respond. You are here. You listen to me, God. And listen, you don't have to, you don't have to sound like a knight of the round table when you pray. Dear God in heaven, I beseech thee to step down from thy heavenly throne and find me in mine place of greatest need. No, you don't need to do that. Like a lot of my prayers are like this. Hey, God, I'm having a hard time. You see my heart. You know I'm having a hard time with this person. God, would you help me change? And God, would you also help them change? In Jesus' name. Sometimes I pray and say, God, I'm really mad at this person. I really hope that you, God, I'm just upset. God, you see my attitude, my heart. It's bad. Help me, God. Prayer is talking with God. It's not, you don't have to be a knight of the round table. You hear what I'm saying? Well, what do I say? What do you say to your friends when you talk to them? Talk to God that way. And ask him to speak to you. Ask him to answer your prayer. Make prayer your first response, not your last resort. And you can see in Philippians 4, Paul's building something here. Control your mind. Don't be anxious. It's possible because he said it. In everything by prayer, right? Let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, in the peace of, uh, and, and supplication with thanksgiving. And that's what we're going to go to. Number three is this word thanksgiving. The third tool is this. Unleash the power of praise. Unleash the power of praise. Unleash the kraken. I should have made that the point. Unleash the power of praise. This word thanksgiving here in the scripture, it's an attitude of gratitude, of thankfulness, and an attitude of praise. Praise is is recognizing what God has done and responding to what he's doing and basically reflecting back to him how awesome he is, right? Praise is being a mirror to God. God's glory and his light shine down in our lives and we reflect it back in praise. God, you're great, you're good. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done to me. Paul says, listen, you can control your thought life, you can rule it. Yes, you wanna go to prayer as a first resort, but it needs to be done with thanksgiving. It needs to be done in an attitude of praise. You need to unleash this power of praise because this does something powerful in the atmosphere. You see, there's things that change the inside and there's things that change the outside. There's things that we get right with God on the inside, but then as we respond in faith, we begin to make a difference in the world around us. And when a person begins to rule their thought life according to the word of God and begins to review and refuse and replace and get God's word on the inside and they begin to pray, all of a sudden praise begins to come out of you in an attitude of thanksgiving and you become a difference maker in the world around you. You see, again, it's not just to get you free from worry and anxiety. We have a city to reach with the gospel of Jesus. There are children that do not have moms and dads that need people to get a word from God to bring them into their home. Come on, somebody. There are people that don't have a home. There are people lost in addiction. And if we're too locked up in our own anxiety and fear to ever be used by God, the devil is winning before the battle even takes place. 
But God wants to unleash you, and he does that by unleashing this power of praise. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his sidekick Silas are in prison again. They spend a lot of time in prison in the scriptures. They're in this super dark place, this super dark circumstance. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 24, we hear what's taking place. It says the jailer put them into the inner dungeon. Some of you are locked in an inner dungeon. Other people might look at you from the outside and be like, this person's okay. They're doing well. They have enough money. They, they smile when I see them. But you know that you're locked in an inner dungeon. And it says, and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, you got to understand at this time in history, when they talk about what's happening here, these guys are actually clamped down on the ground, flat on their backs with their hands above their head. That is the position they are in. And so they're there in filth and excrement and nastiness and rodents are crawling over them. And this is a dark place. And they're not like on the outside of the prison. They're on the inner dungeon. They're, they're locked in the inmost place. When Paul talks about praise, when Paul talks about anxiety and fear, when he talks about these things, it's not just like, well, theoretically, I guess if you're afraid, you could do X. Or if you are theoretically worried, you could do X, Y, Z. It's not that. He's actually spending time in the darkest of places. And it says here in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, around midnight, literally the darkest place, right? The, the middle of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Two, two people had a heart moment right there when I yelled. <laughs> Mildred, my pacemaker, you know. Was, sorry, it's dangerous in church, right? Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. When you get free, you don't just break your chains. Other people's chains get broken around you. Because now God is on the move. My kids and I are listening to uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe audiobook, And uh, I've read that like, you know, maybe 40 times. I don't know, but I love it. And I love it when the beaver says to them, no, Aslan is on the move. Yeah, everything's winter right now and there's no Christmas, but Aslan is on the move. When you get free from anxiety and fear and worry and you begin to unleash the power of praise, what are you declaring to the world around you? God is on the move. Yeah, things are a little bit bad right now. Yeah, everybody's fighting and arguing and yeah, it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but God is on the move. Come on, when you break the chains off your own life, when God does something great in you, and now you begin to walk in the power of praise and begin to unleash praise, even in the darkest of moments, there's nothing that can stop you. Come on, there's no chains that can hold you. There is no burden that will overbear you. God is on the move. And praise invites the presence of God. God responds to praise like a moth to a flame. When we begin to reflect back his glory, begin to say, God, we praise you, God. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, just like we're doing today. And we begin to praise God. God comes, his presence shows up. And when God is in the house, everything else got to go. So listen, some of you are sitting here going, man, but I'm, I'm full of worry. I'm just overburdened with this. It's, it's filling me from the inside out. I can't ever get a moment's peace because the anxiety and these thoughts are running rampant in my mind and I'm full. Well, I don't have an answer for you other than to say that when God shows up in your life, that will go. Do you believe that? 
And you go, well, yeah, but I've heard messages like this before. I bet you have. So have I. And sometimes a fight isn't one round. Sometimes a fight is two. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes you get knocked out, get dragged out, and you have to wait three months and get put back in to go again. But there's something about somebody that says, I refuse to lose. And when you have that heart of a champion, at some point you will break down that door. And I'm just telling you right now, when the presence of God comes in your life, it might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, but that burden, that bondage of anxiety and fear and worry that's been kicking your butt all over the place is going to fall. It's going to break because in the presence of God, that has to go. I'm preaching today, but there's cereal afterwards, so everybody's okay. The presence of God in your life, his closeness, his proximity is your very best defense. As this verse concludes, Paul says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it defies explanation. You can't say, oh, this person feels better because their life changed. No, it's because they changed inside. God did something. That peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's presence is our best defense. It says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hebrews 13, 6 says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This word helper, it makes it sound like Santa's elves. That's not what he's being indicated here. A helper is like this idea of strength coming alongside, connecting, and, and, and bolstering your stability. I was reading an article recently about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you know, in Italy, right? And how they're straightening it so it doesn't fall over. Because we'd rather have the Tower of Pisa than no Tower of Pisa, right? Even if it's not leaning anymore. And how they had to come in and strengthen it and counterbalance it and all that. And this word helper is talking about the same kind of an idea that God comes alongside of us and you were leaning and you were falling and you were weak and he comes alongside and he strengthens you. So now you're, you're standing. I will fear no evil. I will not fear. What can man do to me if God is with me, if he's my helper? The presence of God becomes our defense, becomes our help, becomes our, our everything, our support, our security, our stability. And when God is there, everything else has to go. It says in Psalms 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Maybe today you're full of anxiety, but in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And today you can say goodbye to that nasty fear, that nasty, disgusting worry and anxiety and say from this day forward, in the presence of God, I'm gonna be full of joy. Despite my circumstances, if Paul can do it, laying in a prison with his hands above his head, laying with rats scurrying around him and begin to sing praises to God, I can pray when I feel depressed. You don't have to let your emotions control you. You can control your mind and you can control your emotions and you can praise God even in the darkest of circumstances. In 1 John 4, as we come to a close, he says, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And that's God's word for you this morning. 
the perfect love of God, the God who is love in his presence, there can be no fear. And so right now, you don't have to be afraid. Right now, you don't have to be worried about, well, who am I gonna marry? Or where's my next paycheck gonna come from? Or all those kinds of things. What you need to, you don't need to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Throw yourself into the love of God and let his love work miracles in your life. Come on, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. His perfect love drives out fear in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you today for victory. God, I thank you that as we've learned these tools of how to win against worry, that Lord, I pray we would all put our tool belt on every day, put our tools in and say, I'm gonna rule my thought life in the power of God. I'm gonna review and refuse and replace. I'm gonna walk with mental integrity and mental strength. I'm not gonna be a victim any longer in my thought life. And Lord, I pray that we would treat prayer not as a last resort, but as a first response that God, we would walk in communion and fellowship with you on a daily basis, bearing our heart, bearing our burdens to you, God, and, and, and Lord, hearing what you have to say and speaking with you, God. And Lord, I pray that we would unleash the power of praise, that God, we would, even in the darkest of moments, begin to praise you and be grateful and thankful and, and that that would cause even the world around us to experience freedom as chains are broken and prisons shake. And God, we just thank you for that today. I pray for any person today that's struggling in worry and anxiety, that's felt like you couldn't get off the mat, that today in Jesus' name, you're gonna begin to experience victory. From this point forward, as you respond in faith to the word of God, chains are being broken. Mental uh, chains, I just see chains wrapped around your brain like a crown of thorns that the Lord is coming and he's just unlocking that and just unraveling it and saying, no, you can think free now. You're not gonna be burdened by this any longer. Right now, God, I pray that we would review those thoughts, refuse the ones that don't need to be there and replace them with your better word of freedom and hope and joy in the name of Jesus, amen.